What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. From KYW News Radio, the Delaware Valley's news authority, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg, and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Coming up, Philadelphia's cleaned up the infamous Conrail tracks in Kensington. Now what? There's no more junkies in the tracks. But unfortunately, they're out in the street. Hear from the city, the residents, and outreach workers. Some of them has a lot of complaints because they don't want to get the help. The plan for taking back the neighborhood and the reasons why no one's giving up. She took on the global war against breast cancer and is determined to win. Since the time we started, we have given and raised about $3 billion. Why this former ambassador got started and what keeps her going. All of this and more, but first a break then traffic. Welcome back to Flashpoint. The focus is the debate over the Gurney Street cleanup. Kensington is home to a mile-long stretch of railroad tracks owned by Conrail that was once frequented by heroin users. And for years, El Campamento has been littered with hypodermic needles. And what went on inside spilled into the community. You know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? In July, the city and Conrail began a huge project to clean it all up. We're not just going to clean up and leave. We have a long-term maintenance plan. Now residents are living with the aftermath. Every day, we see dead bodies coming out. We're tired. We're disappointed. With me to discuss this flashpoint in the studio, we have Torito Morales, who has worked for nearly 20 years doing outreach to help individuals from El Campamento. Gloria Cartagena, president of Somerset Neighbors for Better Living, a group that represents the residents of the impacted neighborhood. And on the phone, we have Joanna Otero Cruz, managing deputy director for community services for the city of Philadelphia. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you for having me, Sherry. Thank you for having us. First, I want to start with you, Joanna. Could you describe what has been done thus far? Sure. Every operational department for the city of Philadelphia has been engaged throughout this process. We really started out over a year ago now where we had a big community meeting where we really talked about the opioids and homelessness issues that's affecting our community and really began to coordinate efforts with Conrail to really clean up the actual physical space of the tracks beginning on 2nd in Indiana, going as far down as Lehigh and Trenton. There has been over 1,200 tons of debris that have been totally removed, as well as another 192 tons of tire removals from along the track. There's regrading that's happening. There's some fencing that's happening. We also knew that we had to address the social service issues that many individuals were faced with, whether it was homelessness, 
Also, the addiction. We have encountered or engaged over 1,300 individuals. We have over 300 individuals who've accepted some level of treatment. Gloria, what are you guys seeing now that the, actually the space itself is being cleaned out? Well, ever since the cleanup problem has getting greater and the residents have like complaining that they're out in the street and they find needles when they come out the door. They worry and concerns about their children coming to and from walking in the street. So we uh, invited uh, the city of Philadelphia to come and help us out, see what we can do to clean up the area, see we can get resources for the people that are in the streets. Uh, so we won't have to be concerned about these worries because they don't want scared to come out, walk out their doors uh, because they're f- afraid. They're afraid they might either get robbed or get approached in a negative way. They just don't want to be disrespected where they live. A lot of them have been in the neighborhood for years, mm-hmm. and they have uh, seen the difference from back then to current. And so what we're trying to do is try to get together and see if we can come to a solution and clean the streets up. Uh get rid of some of these needles and these dangers and trash and see what we can clean up. The human element is sort of coming out of right. this area mm-hmm. and they're coming into the neighborhood. And Charito, you kind of predicted this. Oh, yes, I did. I told the city and I told a lot of uh, city officials and Department of Health this was coming. Even though we do the cleanup, we needed to have A, plan B and C and D. So mm-hmm. right now what we're seeing is a good part of we are cleaning getting El Barrio back to our communities, but this is not the end of it. We have to be consistent, Mm -hmm. and this is what we're seeing right now, a new movement of these individuals displaced from the campamento looking for different places to leave and use the drugs and open a new camp. Now, one of the things you mentioned, Joanna, was that 300-plus people have accepted you know, some type of outreach services. Where are these folks going? We have over 8,000 slots for what's called MAT, medically assistant treatment, depending on what they accept. Services can be medical care. There's also, you know, a a huge need for wound care. Unfortunately, we're only at 77% capacity to date. So you have Um, room. Is what which you're means saying. exactly, which means that we are not filling up our beds. The reality is that you know the encampment. It was a huge problem, yeah. and we don't know for sure how many people actually lived there during that time, and how many people were transient. The thing is to get them connected to someone who would be able to follow up with them and their needs. There's different areas of entry point where people come in and yeah. and, and contact the system. So there's a lot of outreach available. All times of the day. Yes, we definitely have three dedicated teams. We also have a lot of grassroots, kind-hearted people that have been trained and want to help as well. Charito, you deal directly with these individuals. What are you seeing as you try to convince these folks to get into treatment or to take services? I'm doing my own walks. Uh, Some of these individuals, let me get the information. I ask them when they're going to be ready. Sometimes I learn from them the name, how, what kind of drugs are they using, I call different programs myself. Some of the programs are really uh, strict with what they need to get from this individual. They don't have an ID or health insurance or a proof of address. Some of them do just waive that and just get them in. But also you have to understand in the health department, they have bureaucracy. But we also have encountered a barrier of different situations, especially the language. Some of them has a lot of complaints because they don't want to get the help. Um, some of them does want to get the help. So this is where maybe the outreach team from the city or myself help these individuals to understand the system, navigate the system, and help them yeah. the way they deserve to be, you know, help. 
but only a hint of them are receiving or staying in different programs. Because people only come in when they're ready to come in. Exactly. Gloria, you got the residents. Are you guys weary? We're trying to clean up. We're trying to help people out. We're trying to send them to resources so they can get the help that they need. So the neighbors are doing this? Yes, yes. The the neighbors are really strong. They they bond and we communicate with one another. Um, Like I always say, we can't make miracles overnight. We got to crawl before we can walk. We do baby steps and they're coming through and they're expressing their feelings. They come, like we have a cleanup coming up October the 28th. There are people that care in the residence. This neighborhood was not always this way. I grew up in this neighborhood. I grew up on the 300 block of Lawrence Street and I remember that that sense of, you know, belonging and that sense of connectivity Mm -hmm. and accountability for one another. So, you know, I empathize with my family members that live there and neighbors that live there because that is not what the neighborhood's about. And I mean, I feel like there's some kind of synergy here. We've done several Flashpoint shows and sometimes there's anger, but there does not seem to be that here. There's sort of this cooperation between you. We are working together. I'm, I'm not only focusing myself in helping the addicts. My point also was getting back to community to my people, meaning Latino, African American, Caucasian, Asians, Anybody who lives around the areas, they deserve to have a better living and a safe environment. And as we close this out, I just want to give each of you an opportunity to talk about what the vision is. A better quality of life where everyone feels safe to walk, where there are public spaces that can be utilized for play and recreation so that our kids can grow and really develop in a way that is going to be productive for a better future. I want people to know that they are families, people that care. You got families that work hard. And Kensington has a bad rep. We want that come to a beautiful and and make it shine. My hope, and I know we're going to get it done, it's not going to be bad lands. It's going to be great land of Philadelphia. Wonderful. So thank you, Chorito Morales. Thank you to Joanna Ontero Cruz. And thank you to Gloria Cartagena for being here on Flashpoint. Next up, our newsmaker of the week took on the global battle against breast cancer and is determined to win. It's always been very personal for me. I'm Jerry Gregg, and I'll tell you what got her started and why she's not stopping anytime soon. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and since October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we have to talk about it. Breast cancer is something that has rocked millions of families to the core, claiming lives and changing women and men forever. Our newsmaker of the week is a woman who armored up to fight it. I'd like to welcome Nancy Brinker, founder of Susan G. Komen and the global movement to end breast cancer, to Flashpoint. Nancy, thank you for joining us. Terry, I'm just delighted to be with you today. Many of our listeners are not aware of your backstory. Please explain how you were inspired to start Susan G. Komen. My sister was Susan G. Komen, and in 1978, when she developed breast cancer, she was my older sister, and she was only 33 years old. She grew up and lived in our hometown of Peoria, Illinois. She was frightened, and she was in a generational place where the thought of losing your breast, the thought of any kind of mutilation or anything was just horrific. And so she decided to be treated by kind of the local surgeon. And unfortunately, by the time her disease was detected, it was very, very late. And it was fully in stage four. Finally, we got her to MD Anderson and they gave her the sort of standard chemotherapy that they gave to everyone, 
with advanced disease because they didn't know the difference right before she died, which was only about 19 months after we had discovered it. She asked me one night if I would help her cure this disease. So, of course, I did. She died just a few weeks later. I was in such so much pain, as has been our whole family all these years. You know, oftentimes people in the end saw her looking very, very ill, and they would cross the street. They thought it was contagious. It was really a devastating time. I thought I was so smart. I was just turning 30, and I thought, I'm just, you know, this is easy. We just didn't realize how much we didn't know. We had lots of money and no research, very little research. Now, (laughs) oddly enough, we have a great deal of research and not as much money. Since that time when we created the organization in 1982, with just maybe under 20 women in my living room in Dallas, Texas, they all committed to help me to cure the disease. And since the time we started, we have given and raised about $3 billion, a billion dollars to research and about $2 billion to community health because we know that no matter where a woman or a man lives shouldn't determine whether they live. Now, you're also a breast cancer survivor, correct? Yes. And um, but the story's always been about my sister yeah. because of the way it happened. And I was very lucky that I had her team of physicians to go to when I was developing my disease. I knew something was happening. You were probably more empowered just by mm-hmm. what you had learned and what sure. that empowerment sort of changes people. Right. Did you have any idea when you started the organization that there would be uh, affiliates all over the country and the world? I knew it had to be big, and I also knew it had to be grassroots. And so that's how we built it. We were affiliate-based. Eventually, we had affiliates in over 100 and. 60 cities. Since then, we've um, consolidated some of the numbers of our affiliates. But, you know, we were on fire and we we wanted to grow and we wanted people to join. We wanted people to learn, etc. It takes a lot to keep a nonprofit growing. I just hope that it, it keeps on. We're constantly renewing and revitalizing it. And for our listeners uh, who may not know, Nancy is a speaker. She's an author. She's been an ambassador for the U.S. government, travels the world advocating uh, for a cure for breast cancer, also a Presidential Medal um, of Honor winner. Uh, when you think of all your titles, Nancy, what keeps you motivated? Mm. Well, the promise that I made to Susie, this organization has always been Susie to me. It's always been very personal for me. Like it is for every single person who's out there walking and, right. and raising money. Now, what's the future? Because I know you were in Philadelphia uh, recently, Um, Tell me what the vision is now as you drive this organization forward. The vision is to reduce the deaths in breast cancer by half in 10 years. It's one of the the sort of goals. But my vision is actually much bigger. I think that within not too many years, this won't even be called breast cancer. It will be a kind of genetic cancer that expresses in the breast. There will be a different way of looking at it. And I think that the organization is always searching new ways to reach people. Now, you were in Philadelphia for a metastatic breast yeah. cancer symposium. Explain why this was uh, an important event. This particular affiliate has been helping us for almost 29 years. It's been quite astonishing. And it's just important that leaders and, and people like me visit these wonderful affiliate cities. This is a lot of where our mission is. We care for our communities, low-resource women having to deal with these issues alone is very difficult. And so we hope to provide at least some of the 
support they need. And so as we close out our interview, I just want you any words to to those women who may be dealing with the new diagnosis or someone in their family well, dealing with it. I'm just going to say don't ever stop asking questions. Go to our website, Komen.org, if you have concerns or issues and never hesitate to ask for information. You're on a, a journey which many have joined you on. You're never alone with Susan Coleman, and we'll do everything we can to make sure you're not. Well, thank you so much. Next up, our nonprofit of the week is Training Philadelphia for the Future. We have totally expanded our operations. Three Ways, the new leader of a legacy founded by Reverend Leon Sullivan, is blazing trails. This is Flashpoint, and we here at KYW are all about community, and this week, it's all about Philadelphia OIC, a nonprofit founded by the late, great Reverend Leon Sullivan, which provides job training to Philadelphia. I'd like to welcome OIC President and CEO, the Reverend Dr. Kevin Johnson. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you so much, Sherry. Glad to be here this morning. I wanted to invite you to the KYW studios because I had the pleasure of being at OIC a few days ago for a huge announcement of a partnership with PICO. Please explain what that is. PICO has been a great supporter of OIC for many years, but this year they decided they wanted to do something around workforce development. They granted to OIC $100,000 to begin the process of training men and women from our communities to go into the solar industry. You know that there's a big push about trying to be environmentally conscious and PICO wants to be at the forefront of this. You took over OIC Philly in 2015, is that correct? 2015. And we basically have developed a new model. When I arrived in January 2015, we only had the Hospitality Training Institute. But when I started to look at how we really address in our mission, which is to eliminate poverty, unemployment, and illiteracy, we had to expand our workforce training programs. We now have a BankWorks program, uh, which is growing by leaps and bounds. It actually starts next month, and we're preparing men and women to become tellers, personal bankers. Men and women can start making about $35,000 a year, which is huge, and starts to really start to help them with an upward trajectory for themselves and for their families. We have the energy program, which I talked about, the solar, but also construction. We have a reentry program. We just received a $1.3 million contract from the federal government, the Labor Department, so we're excited about that. And in July, July 6th of this year, uh, the school district of Philadelphia awarded us a $6 million contract over five years to start a new alternative school. And that school started on August 28th. And we're helping young people between the ages of 16 to 21 get their high school diploma, but also to get them placed into a job. So needless to say, we have been busy. The money is raining in. Yes, it is. That's a beautiful thing. And we can get some more, too. <laughs> wow. This is all has been going down in the past couple of years. OIC has gone from a little bit less than $2 million a year to now being over $5 million under my leadership. And I'm very excited about what the team has done. I'm excited about having a supportive board. I'm really excited about the future of Philadelphia OIC. Wow, you're turning this thing to gold. I see that. <laughs> For people who don't know you, you're not a native Philadelphian, no. but you have sort of become part of the fabric of Philadelphia. I tell people I'm not a Philadelphian by birth, but I'm a Philadelphian by choice. Uh, I'm originally from Texas, but I love Philly. You are also a pastor of a church. I'm really excited about this new church called Dare to Imagine Church. We started about two and a half years ago in our home. Seventy-something people came, 57 people joined. May 25th, we closed on our first property for $2.2 million. 
We now have over 560 members. So needless to say, I'm not bored. I'm busy on OIC front and I'm busy on the church front. The church is growing. Yeah. OIC is growing. Congratulations to you, Dr. Johnson. Where can people, if they hear about this yeah. and they want to send some folks to you, how do they do that? Go to our website at phila, P-H-I-L-A-O-I-C.org. Or just come on by 1231 North Broad Street. And I tell people always, imagine OIC. All right. Thank you very much. That's it for Flashpoint. You can follow KYW News Radio on Twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag Flashpoint. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As George Washington Carver once said, where there is no vision, there is no hope. My wish for you is that you see what is invisible to others and then make it reality. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.